massive study. We went through the whole time. We went through all of chapter two of Acts because it really felt, I really felt like it, it all made sense to be together in Acts. And in our study, we saw this, really this beautiful portrait of a church that was devoted to one another. Remember that? Especially towards the end there, all the things that they were doing together. Really what we, we were seeing was this beautiful picture of um, a portrait of a church that was devoted to community. Okay? Now, community, as we saw, and we we saw right at the very end there, when community is lived out intentionally and purposely, it resulted, as we saw back then, ultimately in this powerful and this effective witness for Christ. Remember all the things that were church that were doing? They were meeting together. They were hearing the apostles teach. They were sharing meals together. They were going in homes, all this stuff. And there was great joy. And it said people continually, I mean, church growth was, was just... It was gross. It was great. It was huge. It was, it was massive. We saw that happening. Now, here, what we're going to do in chapter 3, we're going to look at chapter 3 of Acts, and we're going to see really the effects, uh, the effect that, that effect of witnesses practically looks like. What does it practically look like, this witness that the people were having? Because in your, if you want to follow along in your notes, I've got to give you number one right away, if you want right away, is what we're going to, what we're going to be seeing this morning is that fulfilling our our mission to make disciples, what it means, when you really get down into it, what it really means is helping others to discover and grow in the love and power found in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's what it is to make, that's what it means to make disciples. That's what it means to fulfill our mission, to assist people at not only coming to, but experiencing and growing in their understanding of the love God has for them. And not just that, but also the power to radically transform their lives all in the name of Jesus. That is what making disciples is all about. Now, the truth is that this mission that we have been given to make disciples typically doesn't happen. I think a lot of times we think, okay, I'm going to make disciples. That means I got to sign up for a class and we got to go through a book and we got to, not that those things are wrong or bad, but the truth is that usually making disciples, helping people to understand who God is, his love and power in their lives typically happens through the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. As we're just walking along with one another, as, we're to, as we've talked about, where we're speaking the gospel into one another's lives. And really, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I have found that when I'm with other people or people are speaking to my, into my life, typically when I grow in my understanding of God's love and the power of God through the name of Jesus, Jesus it's usually happening during tough times, Right? It's usually happening in seasons that are difficult and they're the messiness or just the mess of life. Have you ever noticed how sensitive and how receptive you are or others are to God's love and to what God can do that we could never imagine doing when life is really turned upside down? The beautiful thing is, we get a picture of that this morning. Chapter 3 gives us a picture of this it, as we look at what the, as we look specifically how this happens in someone's life. So let's start first verse of chapter 3. Here it says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them and expecting to receive something from them. So here's, here's where we're at. Remember, all this great stuff has happened. Pentecost has happened. We don't know how much down the road, how much time has passed since this happens. But we see that the apostles, although that they're now free in Christ, they continue to live as observant Jews by still attending services at the temple. And this, this temple that they're going to actually, you know, this is actually the three, after, three in the afternoon um, the afternoon prayer service that they're going to, okay? So this is where they headed. And this is where now they enter the story of this man. This man that's been crippled since his birth, who is asking for alms or what is asking for his gifts of kindness and, and compassion and mercy from people. And almsgiving, actually, you need to understand that almsgiving was actually an important thing. It's a responsibility that Jews took very seriously in, expect, in, in expressing compassion to other people, that they knew God honored that. He, there's many, you can go throughout the Old Testament, and how God really wanted people to give and, and help the poor. And so this was a part of that. Now, the beautiful gate where this guy is, sometimes we think, what the heck is the beautiful gate? I have a picture, not of the beautiful gate, but the beautiful gate where this guy, just to give you a sense, because sometimes we talk about temple and gate, and we just go in our mind, oh, whatever, that's back. Well, I don't know. But the beautiful gate, you understand, the beautiful gate was like right right here, right? Like at number 11, right there in the, in the middle. Whoa, right in there. See, so it separated the Gentile courtyard where only the Gentiles could go and then where the women could go. So you could see he was in a very strategic place. He was a strategic place where everybody devout, the devout Jews were all going to pass him up. And he knew that they knew and understood how important it was to take care of the poor. Okay, so, and we see that G, uh, I'm just picturing, you know, P, him sitting there at this gate, and Peter and John are coming up to go attend the service, and um, he, hey, alms, alms for the, we've seen movies, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, and, that, and that's what he's doing, and both men notice him, and it says that they look intently at him. So obviously they just go, oh, another beggar. Obviously something prompted them to say, ooh, look at him. And long, likely prompted by the Holy Spirit, they, they, Peter says, tells his man, look at me. You know, it's not just say, I'm going to give you, no, he says, hey, you, look at me. Focus, focus on me. So we see that it says that this crippled man turns his full, it says he turns his full attention. Get this picture in your head. There's a scene playing out slowly here. He's looking at him. And obviously what he's doing, he's expecting to get something, Right? He's thinking, oh, he's really giving my attention. He's probably going to pull out a wad, you know, and he's going to throw this on me. So he looks at him and gives up their full attention, okay? And he's expecting to receive his... But Peter, what is very surprisingly and unexpectedly, he gives this reply to this man that I'm sure is he didn't expect whatsoever. And look what he says in verse 6. It says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we see here right off the bat, financial assistance not being something that Peter is able to give this man. He offers him something else. He offers him healing in the name of Jesus. That's what he's going to give. That's what he's going to give this man here. So I love this picture. Once again, get this picture in your head here. So we, Peter takes this man by the hand. Okay, he takes him by the hand and he rises up. And instantly, he, all his life, what this means is this man's legs and ankles that they just have not worked at all. So all of a sudden, he raises up. Can you just imagine? I don't know if there's crack, 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 crack. You know, all of a sudden, you know, his bones are coming into shape. Everything's working. All the ligaments are all fashioned all of a sudden. And he stands. Then picture this guy. Then he starts to walk. Can you imagine? First time ever in his life. He starts, he starts to walk. And then we get this picture. What's he doing after that after a while? Yeah, wouldn't you? If you hadn't ever walked in your life, you're like, oh, this is a, oh, whoa, you know, this guy's probably skipping and he's having a great time, but it says that he's praising God because he knows where this healing came from. So he is excited. Next, we see that the people take notice of this man whom they knew had been crippled from birth. These guys, people have seen this guy for decades, probably every single day sitting at this gate. Every day. So can you imagine they're thinking, oh my gosh, here's this guy. Not only is he standing and walking, but he's leaping and he's praising God. And it says they're amazed. They can't believe what they're seeing. What is going on here? Yet what we're, as we're going to see in, in Peter's speech that he's about to give here, this man was not only healed of a broken body. That's not just why this guy was leaping. This guy was healed of a broken relationship with God. He was healed inside, spiritually. He was healed of the sin that so captured him. It was amazing. And what Peter, what Peter has actually given this man is a new life. And this new life because of the authority, remember again, found in the name of Jesus. I love the songs, Robin, you picked out. Where you are, where you picked out for, they were great, went so well, so well with this, so well. It's all about the name of Jesus. I hope, get, keep that in your head as we keep look, looking at this, okay? Now, just as the events of the day of Pentecost, remember we saw this, just as these day, the events happened here, which we looked at last week, led to an explanation, remember, all this stuff happened and people said, ah, they're just drunk, ah, what's, what, and, that, and Peter goes into this long thing about who Jesus is and what is actually happen here, it's going to happen again, okay? This event is going to have an explanation. And with all that transpired, really, on the day of Pentecost, all that stuff would happen, just the same with that, this miracle that just happened is a sign. It's to be seen as a sign. 
It was meant to show people that, show people that their deep need, a huge need that they had, not just to be able to be physically healed and take care of all their diseases, but really for a much deeper need. This whole miracle was maybe a sign to show them their need for the love and the power that is found in the name of Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what this is all about. Remember, there's a focus. Remember, Jesus was very focused in his ministry. The disciples now know that this focus is going to need to carry on in their ministry as well. Number two on your notes there, the peril, this paralyzed man is a picture of life apart from Christ. Life from part, apart from having a relationship with Jesus. Paralyzed by our sin, unable to walk as God intended us to. Can you see how that picture plays out? What a great image. A paralyzed guy, his feet, ankles, and legs aren't working, so he can't function as he, as he should be able to. That's exactly what's sin. The sin that we're born with, this desire to be selfish and do things our way apart from God. It's the same thing. It cripples us. Completely cripples from living the life that God meant us to have. You know, what, what people need really in this world is not what the, our world offers that tells us will satisfy our deepest needs so often. That's not what people need. Not silver, not gold, but Jesus. Jesus is what people need, the one who gives new life. Really, the, the shiny objects, the things that tantalize us, and the things that look so good that the world offers, that, will, that promises us peace and, and satisfaction and wholeness, really, you can really, they're really just band-aids. They're just band-aids to the paralyzing effects of sin. I think you've probably seen it in your own life, I've seen it in mine, in other people's lives, we do all these effort to make ourselves, to insulate our lives, to make our lives more comfortable. Okay, that's going to make me happy. That's going to work well. But it always falls short, doesn't it? We're always left wanting. We're always left knowing there's, some, there's, a, there's a hole that's just not being filled. And that, filled, that hole is meant to be filled by Jesus. And I'm talking about not religion either. I'm talking about the power, the love and the power of Jesus. Your marriage isn't working. Your family's falling apart. Your kids have gone astray. Your life is just falling apart. Jo losing jobs, all that stuff. The answer is Jesus. And I don't mean that in a pithy, put it on a Hallmark card way. The answer is Jesus. The answer is what? It, the power and the love and the knowing who we are in him, where our identity comes from. That's what we need. That's what we need more than anything. That's what the world needs. I, a song, what the world needs now. You know, we love sweet love, but really, not just love pe between people. We need to understand who we are in Christ. What it means to be a child of God. Where do I get my identity from? My job? What other people think about me? How well life is going? Those things will always, always fail us. Never. The love and the power of Christ. Okay. So God reveals to Peter, what God did here is he revealed to Peter a specific need and he responded by bringing what was needed most. Not just physical healing, but more than that. 
a deeper understanding and the love and the power of God found in Jesus. Number three on your notes, the truth is we need to have the courage to offer people not what they simply want in terms of alms, but what they need most. An understanding of the love and the power of God found in Jesus. Am I repeating myself a lot? Because I'm, I'm hoping I am. Because that is the message here. Is understand, we need not only to understand it ourselves, but to be able to have the courage to say that's the most important message we could possibly share and give to anyone. And as we, we see here as... as uh, and this is precisely what Peter's going to do. He's going to help these people understand because people are all freaking out. It would have been easy for Peter to say, yeah, that wasn't that awesome. God, bam, drop the mic, leave. He doesn't do that. He wants people to truly understand what is going on here, the significance of this miracle. Look at verse 11. He says, while he clung to Peter and John, this is the crippled man, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, word is, word is spreading, obviously. Word has gotten around, hey, did you hear, you know, Frank, who's been crippled his whole life, that, you know, Frank, we've seen him every day. Guy's jumping around. He's walking. And these two guys, he's with, he's with these two guys. So everybody flocks to these three men, and we see that Peter, once again, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, what he does is he first wants to get things, set things straight. Stop looking at us, okay? Don't look at us as if we, by our own power or even by our own godliness, made this man walk. That's not what happened here. Nothing wonderful about us made this happen. Nothing, okay? This was all God's doing. See, laser focus, once again. He's saying, this was all God. So before you guys start going, what have you done? What power do you have? Hey, how much can I, can, I, can you do that for my daughter? No, he's, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This wasn't us. Okay, this was totally God. And then Peter goes on to explain to the crowd how this actually happened. Because they're probably thinking, how did you do it? Tell us how. And he tells them how. And he gives them a great theological lesson in, the, in, in doing so. Look at verse 13. It says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. When you delivered him over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, did you get that? In his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But when what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So here's what Peter's doing here. He's explaining that this crippled man has been cured. And you get this. He has been cured because Jesus has been glorified. 
Okay? He's been cured because Jesus is glorified. Even though they denied that Jesus was who he was, even though they said, no way, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're going to die like the rest of the thieves and all that stuff. He said, even though that happened to him, he, they handed him over. It, the Bible tells us that God, in turn, if they weren't going to glorify him, the Father would. So that's what happens. He's able to be healed because even though Jesus was humbled, humbled to the point of being executed on a cross. Get this. The author of life, it says, was accused of being a liar and a thief and murdered. He says, even though that you wouldn't do it, God was going to glorify him. Remember we talked about what that meant last week, what it means to glorify him. Remember it said that God, the Father, seated Jesus at his right hand, remember, which was, a, which was this position of supremacy over the entire universe. So even though Jesus was brought low and nailed to a cross, he's been exalted and glorified to be the ruler over the universe. And really, it's what he's saying is it's in this glorified state that Jesus has actually given his disciples the power to perform these mighty works in his name. And you and I are in that same place as if you're a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus was humbled and then the Father glorified him and made him the ruler and said, you're the ruler over the universe, the most high here. Now, that same thing he wants to do through us that he did through his disciples. Isn't that amazing to think about? That's amazing. Now, he wants to do those very things through us and to perform these great things through us in his name, in his powerful name, in his glorified name. Okay, and we know, but we know how difficult life is and we know how hard this Christian life is. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, you're not sitting there going, well, I'm not making anybody walk. That's not the point of this. The point of this is asking ourselves, do I know the Jesus that is all and all power and am I doing everything I can to know him so that I can receive the power that he wants to give me? I can receive the love he wants to give me. Whatever that's supposed to look like, Okay. Because the reality is because God glorified his promise, that God fulfilled his promise to allow his son to suffer and die for our sins, that's where the power comes from. Okay, what this means, number four, boil it down to a sentence, all that I said. Number four, there is power in the name of Jesus because who he is, he is God incarnate and what he has done by making a way for our salvation. There's power. We need not forget that. There's power. If, if, if there's ever been a story from rags to riches, I hate even saying that's terrible to almost even say that. It's the story of Jesus who, who, who willingly allowed himself to, to come to the earth in the form of a human being and all the limitations that are in that and then to allow mankind to execute him and falsely accuse him. You don't get much lower than, I don't think you get a whole lot lower than that, do you? <laughs> That's pretty low. But God, in turn, went to the far extreme, raising his son from the dead and placing him at his right hand and saying, you're the ultimate. And through your ultimate power and glorification, that's how I want to work through my people. That's what I want to do through them. See how now this miracle of the raising of the, lifting this guy up is more than just getting him to get up and walk? 
It's a huge picture that he's, that he's trying to communicate. I love Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says this. This is about Jesus. He said, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted on him, uh, him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, okay, so that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You understand now how, this just came to my mind, how being a follower of Jesus is no small thing. He, it, we're not meant to just be followers, just kind of along and not really kind of understand who Jesus is in our life and who we are in Christ. No, we are meant to experience the love and the power that comes from being a follower of Jesus. Are you tracking with me here? This is good news. This is really, really good news. And now what's going to happen, Peter is going to help the crowd understand, okay, here's how you should respond to this. Here's what you need to do. Now that you see what I've told you about who Jesus is, here's how you should respond. Here's what he says uh, in verse 19. He says, repent. Remember, we saw that last week. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Here's what Peter's doing. Peter's telling them that they must repent. And remember, last week, remember last week, look at repent. We saw that repent means to have a complete change of heart, okay? It's, a, it's, it's taking a spiritual about face, seeing things completely different. What Peter's saying is need to change their former attitude about Jesus and bring it in line with God's. Here's what you thought about him. Here's why I just explained who he is. You need to fully grasp that. Not partially. Not dip your toe. There's no such thing as dipping your toe into a relationship with Jesus. There's no such thing. You either plunge, you're taking the big plunge, or you're not in. That's what he's saying. And remember, it's not about how good you do and how wonderful you are. It's about just receiving. He did all the work. Jesus did all the work that allows us to take the plunge. <laughs> I don't have to get cleaned up. I don't have to fix my life. I just have to believe and give my life to him. That's an incredible thing. That's what he's asking them to do. They need to see who Jesus is and what he has done. And that, my friends, is grace. This is what grace is, undeserved favor from God. And I decided here to work on number five on your notes here. Okay, here it is. Because of our sin and because God is perfectly just. I don't know about you, but I want a God whose justice is perfect, not wishy-washy. Okay, because of that, we deserve the penalty require. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages, or what we are rightly owed for our sin, is what? Death. Yet the good news, here's the good and exciting news, is that Christ paid the debt we owed with his very own life, and we belong now to him. 
This is a story of reconciliation to God right here, okay? Paul says that we were bought with a price, and the price was the work of Christ on the cross. I have a little long quote. I want to give R.C. Sproul, theologian and pastor, R.C. Sproul says this about grace. Read along. Listen, just listen to this. He says, grace should never cease to amaze us. God has an absolute, pure, holy standard of justice. That's why we cling with all our might to the merit of Jesus Christ. He alone has the merit to satisfy the demands of God's justice. And he gives it freely to us. We haven't merited it. There's nothing in us that elicits the Lord's favor that leads to our justification. It's pure grace. I love this. And the more we understand what God has done for us as sinners, the more willing we are to do whatever he requires, the more we understand how, the more we understand how kind God has been to us, and the more we are overcome by his mercy, the more we are inclined to love him and to serve him. When we truly understand grace, when we see that God only owes us wrath, but has provided Christ's merit to cover our demerit, then everything changes. <laughs> Are you amazed by God's grace? I hope so. I should, yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Everybody knows that song. I love the lyrics of that song. But do we live that? Do, we, do you wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, thank you, God, for your grace. I don't deserve any goodness I get from you. I don't deserve because of my rebellion, because of my sin, because of my selfishness and pride. But because of your love, you just, I like to use that illustration. Someone gave me a long time ago. You allow me to swim in the, in the ocean of your grace. Never runs dry. Always there. Amazing, isn't it? And this is what Peter is trying to get across uh, to the crowd. And Peter goes on in those verses that we read and tells them that the further results of Jesus' work of his goodness and grace, his mercy and forgiveness will continue. It's not just for them right there. It's going to be poured out until he comes back again. That's the message we have for people. This, this, this grace, this mercy, this forgiveness, <laughs> it's available to you now. It's, it's for you now. It's not going to go away. It doesn't run dry. It's still there. Number six on their notes. Peter is saying that of all the voices we listen to, we lead to listen to the one. Oh, wait a second. Did I, did I skip something on my notes? I think I did. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I skipped the next verse. Then I'll explain that. Look at verse 22. Okay, he's going he's gonna to add power to this punch right here. Okay, because he's going to talk about how, listen, this isn't anything new. It's been told about. He says in verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Destroyed from the P.S. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. What he, here's what he's saying. Number six. Of all the voices that you listen to, he's telling them this. Of all the things that we listen to, and this applies to us today. 
Jesus's is the one we must fully hear and obey. What he's saying is, listen, you guys, the entire he didn't use the word Old Testament then, but all the prophets, all the old writings of Scripture point to Jesus. Did you know that? The whole Bible points to Jesus. Everything points to the, the life and work of Christ. He's saying don't get caught up in philosophies of the world, no matter how good they sound, or no how matter that, how much they're mixed with some biblical truth and then a little bit of the world, what I kind of like to call Oprah theology. You know, it's, it's, it's good, it sounds great, but there's definitely pieces of what the world says is what you have to grasp onto as well. And, she, and what he's saying here is no. No matter how good they sound, because they're only going to lead to destruction. All it needs is a little bit of lie. A tiny little bit of lie in this much truth, and, you're gonna, and it's going to lead to destruction. That, that is what he's seeing. And here's, here's the close of this. Peter's now going to close out this whole thing. He closes out his speech with really, boom, an exclamation point. Look at the last two verses. He says in 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What Here's what Peter's telling them. What Peter's telling him is that they are heirs of the promises that God made through the prophets a long time ago. Promises, get this, promises that are actually being fulfilled in front of their very eyes. All those things that were written about, all those things that were foretold by the prophets, he's saying, it's happening. Look, he's like, it's happening now. You're, you're seeing it. It's being fulfilled right now. Don't miss it. Okay, he's saying, don't miss all the good stuff that's happening right now. So repent. He's saying, respond. Respond to this wonderful message of mercy and grace and forgiveness. He's saying, there's no better time basically saying, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Those of you that go to the temple with me every day and we do all, all the stuff you've heard, it's, it's happening. Jump on, get on the bus, come with. Have you ever had the spirit of God do that in your life before? There's times where all of a sudden you're talking with someone and you're realizing that they're lost and they don't know Jesus, and, but you don't know what to say, but there is inside you this feeling of you just want to be able to say, come on, right? <laughs> Have you ever had that? Just get on with me. This ride is amazing. But we know it's a lot harder than that, don't we? It is. Number seven on your notes. The true significance of the healing of this crippled man at the beautiful gate was far more than giving him the gift of physical healing. It was to proclaim that Jesus is the exalted and glorified servant who fulfills God's promises and has the power to heal and to forgive. I know we've been kind of talking about that same thing, but this, he's just, this is what it's meant to get across to us and to them and to us. You see, the answer, the answer to the ills of this world, the answer to our problems the people that we face, the problems that all people face, the answer to our deepest longings is not found in the wisdom and the, the, in man's wisdom and man's cunning, but in the love and the power 
found in the name of Jesus. And my friends here, this is the message that you and I are meant to proclaim. This is the message that we have, yet I know, I know that, you're, that you might even be thinking, and I'm thinking the same thing sometimes, easier said than done, Rob. Easier said than done. And that's so true. This is why this bandwagon I've been on for almost a year now is this why we so desperately need to be devoted to one another. This is why we need to be devoted to community. Because the truth is, as we learn to live and be devoted to true community with one another, as we, as we learn to take responsibility for one another's spiritual maturity, and as by speaking the truth of the gospel into our, in one, one another's lives, lives, what's going to happen out of that? The deeper we go into that, the more we will become burdened and encouraged and motivated to offer people not simply what they want, what they think they need, not alms. We're going to be so motivated to give them what they need the most, the understanding of the love and the power of God found in Jesus. Really, my plea is that we would have the courage. We would have the courage to do whatever it takes to allow the Spirit of God to empower us to be the people, to be the church. To be a church that lives in such a way and desires this so much. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and the challenge it is to us. And also the encouragement that it is to us, Father God, as we, as we hear from your spirit what that means to each of us now. God, and as God, as we move into a time of taking communion, God, I pray that for each one of us that we would listen to what you're Holy Spirit has to say to each one of us as we remember, not only remember the humbling that Jesus went through, but also the glory that he now lives in, that now from that glory desires to depart to us this message of, that we have received of love and power found in his name. And God, as we take communion, as it'll cause us to remember how wonderful it's going to be when we sit with Jesus and others that have believed this well. Help us, God, please help me to be people that have the courage to trust in your spirit to proclaim this message. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right.